I wouldn't want to call it preaching. Um, I'm merely here as a mouthpiece to take, give you my perspective. And the title of my um, talk today um, is Dancing in the Storm. Dancing in the Storm. And um, to start with, I think the, the first part of what I'll be talking about is um, how we strive in the storm. And I actually look at the words to strive in itself. Striving is not actually a very pleasant word at all. When they refer to someone as someone is really striving, you know, that's the thing I love about English language. There is quite a lot of depth, a lot of meaning behind it. Striving actually means to exert oneself. Um, it means making a lot of effort, like you're contending in opposition, more like a battle, a conflict. To actually take it into perspective, Joe is planning to go and mow um, Chantel's garden. And, uh, and I will imagine maybe that, that lawn is probably a little bit overgrown at the moment. Just imagine Joe actually using a machete or a cutlass to actually start mowing that, to start cutting down that gra those grasses, yeah. That's a lot of effort. But picture an electric lawnmower, you know, driving right through it. Yeah. That's the opposite of striving. And, um, yeah. <laughs> when, when I went through it. <laughs> so, it, it, it's, it's all, yeah. It, it's just to give, to give, us, the, to give us the picture. And, and even to get here this morning for us, yeah. I mean, I tried, you know, with the family of six, yeah. It's quite a massive effort for us, I'm telling you. You know, we woke up at about eight o'clock, get everybody, you know, by nine, everybody was all showered. And um, one thing or the other just kept popping up, you know. At the last minute, we had to change a nappy. The whole lot of stinking, you look at um, Teye, his face is all dry. We've just given you a shower. It's such an effort, yeah. And, um, and when we, and our lives, yeah, it's full of the struggles, these needs, these desires, that of, often it can be quite overwhelming, really. Massively overwhelming. And, um, and a very familiar story in the Bible, um, we all know it, the story of Hannah. In the book of Samuel, in the first book of Samuel, starting from verse 6 to 15. I'm not going to read it out loud, but we all know the story of Hannah, who was married to Elkanah. I can see Barry thinking, trying to remember the story. <laughs> he was married to El he was mar she was married to Elkanah, and Elkanah had two wives, yeah, Penina. And Anna was the second wife. Penina had children, but, um, but Hannah did not have any at all. And, um, and, the, and the parallel between that story of Hannah and, um, and the story of my own life, 
there is something I would like to share with you. This month, I had a letter from the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales. Yeah. Um, some of you might not know, I happen to be a chartered accountant. Yeah. I qualified to be one 11 years ago. And um, so the institute is like the highest regulatory body for accountancy. It's like equivalent of the British Medical Council, Board of Dentistry, stuff like that. And, um, and I've been invited to become a fellow of the institute. And, um, you know, for so many reasons, you know, good behavior. I've not signed any audit that has turned bad, like, you know. But 11 years ago, actually um, in August 2008, um, I had a, I was still like three years after university, had a very excellent job, was working as an auditor, managing a team, making decent living. And um, I believe it was in August 2008, one of the partner just called me in. I had no reason to think otherwise, because two weeks before, I just completed an audit of a logistics company somewhere in, um, I can't remember, it's around here in Hertfordshire. And I had very good review. Ups and downs, though. I wouldn't say I was perfect. But I had no cause to believe otherwise. But the words were, Tunde, we're sorry we had to let you go. And to be honest, I really, I think that was probably the only conversation, that was the only bit of the conversation I remembered. I do not even remember how I got home that day, because I was just completely dazed. And um, when I think about the story of Anna, I will start from verse six. It said, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This is First Samuel, um, starting from verse six, chapter one. From verse six. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And um, in verse 10, it went on. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And in verse 13, he was saying, the Bible was saying, and I was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought, Eli happens to be the priest, thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. In the old, old days, you know, you know, as, as of now as well, if a woman doesn't, cannot bear a child, it's, um, she could almost consider herself to be a failure, especially in those times. You know, now things are a little bit different. It's, um, and at the same time, we can, we can see that Tina Hannah, she was, 
almost embarrassed as well because every year she has to endure this bitterness, taunting. And, um, and also, she felt unjustly criticized as well. And these three emotions, yeah, these three feelings, those were what I felt when I was let go. Massively, massively embarrassed because all my friends were doing well. Some of them now, they even made partners in, account in, the, in the accountancy firm they were working in. Some were working in the city. I just couldn't face it, you know. We just got out of uni, you know. Everything was going swimmingly well. We, and I mean, I, I felt I was untouchable. I mean, practically. Because I've reasoned, I've strived yeah, to get to the position I got to. Because I was thinking, by the, time I was, by the time I was in my first semester, I'd already had a job offer. By the time I finished in June, yeah, got my results, yeah, I just walked straight to a job in September waiting for me. You know, I had a career plan set, did all my exams, were passing them. Well, I would like to say I did fail one. I, reset, I resetted, yes, I passed. But I did all the exams when I was supposed to. I finished in time. I was made, you know, an audit senior, almost like an assistant manager, managing leading teams, yeah, responsible for them striving really hard. My Saturdays, Sundays, I was in the office, belting out, checking out his audit reviews, yeah, you know, what did the partner say, looking at all the work of my juniors, because this audit needs to go well. It was like a lot of effort, it was hard. And for all that to just count for nothing, I just felt like a failure. And to make matters worse, for those of us who have very good memory, I believe it was a couple of months after, a couple of weeks after, that was when the financial crash turned to a crisis. So it was really not a good time to be a finance professional. <laughs> Especially an out-of-work finance. Especially an out-of-work finance person. So I was practically down on my luck. Yeah. And, and, I, and I could see, you know, like, like um, Anna, she was praying and she was practically numb. I mean, I was desperate. And sometimes, you know, some pain hits you so hard that the only thing you can just feel is just numbness. You just feel numb. But as Christians, striving, storm, struggles, trials, tribulations, they're all part of lives, yeah. But I don't think you can convince me at that time moment that it's part of life, yeah. Because the question I was asking is, why me? Why must it be me? Why not somebody else? And, um, and I think in a way, There is, um, there is always a side to this. And in terms of us stri when we are striving in, in the storm, there are two lessons I want to take us through, which is we need to keep our faith in God. Mm 
But keeping faith in God, how? And there are two parts to that, which I will take as true. For me, <clears throat> as I said, I just cannot begin to imagine how it had all gone wrong. And, and it was very hard for me to really accept that I was in that situation. And around that time was when I started studying the Bible to become a Christian as well. And, and this scripture, James 1, chapter 1, verse 2 to 5, which is right up there, it said, um, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You may want to ask me, how does this actually relate to dancing in the storm? You know, when Daniel was doing the, the singing, really into it, wasn't he? You know, it was like, you know, always, yeah. It was almost like he was in another realm, yeah. But dancing itself is actually a spiritual experience. Dancing is an expression of a powerful impulse. Sometimes it's a physical release of emotion. And when some of us watch Strictly Come Dancing, we are bowled over. But there are two types of dance. There is a true dance, which is full of elegance, grace, beauty, that we all see. And there is a crude dance, yeah. Some people might call that one daddy dance, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And, um, and our daughter might be like, oh, mommy, she's at it again, yeah, you know. But it's still a physical release. It's, it's, we're expressing emotion. And um, when we are really ready to dance with God, yeah, when we are willing to dance with God, it's almost like he's taking us in a loving embrace and twirling us around yeah, within that storm. So, like I said, I, I struggle to find any joy in the trial I was ex really experiencing in my life here. Yeah. There was no joy in it at all. Within month, I could not, by the second month, I was struggling to pay my rent. Yeah. I was living in the flat. And my landlady, she's a very diligent one. She rang up my previous employer, and they told her that we sat today. <laughs> you know how long it works here? Because by the second month, uh, you know, the rent, I had to pay half of it. Because yeah, I need money to, to live. I had no parent here. The closest relative I had lived in Ireland. It's, a far, it's quite far. So it's, you know, what I was really looking at is, 
find, going, you know, finding friends that will be bunking on their beds in, in, in their living room. And, um, and it wasn't really nice. You know, when you've moved out, you're living in a flat, you know. A lot of it was actually my own doing because when you make money when you're young, yeah, you spend it as fast as you can. Yeah. And I was, I, I do not have any reason to be in the situation I was in. But maybe God was talking to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, you know, to keep our faith in God, yeah, there are two sides to it, yeah. At least for me. It's not going. Do I need to face that way? The first part is finding hope in God. And to find hope in God, it's by us asking for wisdom. I would love to tell you that in those elements of when I was really staring at the barrel of not just you know, being homeless, no money to spend, being alone, I would like to say I was really strong, but I was really bitter. I was full of hate. Because even the word redundancy at that particular point, I don't think, I, I cannot think I was quite familiar with the word, yeah. I probably heard the word used, but it's not really something I could relate to. And, and when, we, when one is gripped with a lot of negativity, the last thing you really want is human connection or any connection whatsoever, be it spiritual. But that's losing the battle. The moment you start losing your grip with reality, with connection, that is losing the battle because in the book of James, in chapter 5, it's almost like it's saying that you are in this situation. God doesn't test people. God doesn't put people in difficult situations because if we read further down in, the, um, in, in, in James, he made, God made that quite clear. But like we said, you know, striving, you know, these are the struggles we face with our desires, our motives, yeah. you know, things we want in our lives situation we put ourselves. My employer did not have any choice when they, when they were faced with economic ruin because they recruited expecting growth, practically. I wasn't the only person they let go. It was because the business just was not forthcoming and they had to react. And I was last in. So it was a case of lasting first time. But this was when I was back to my senses, yeah. When I started to put things in perspective. When it happened, I did not think lasting first time. There was no logic at all to it. Because I just felt they were very mean people. But in verse 5, um, 
of James, yeah, in, in the first James, verse 5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And in Proverbs 14, verse 8, there was an element in Proverbs 14, verse 8, verse 8, it said, because when you think, you know, what wisdom, you know, you know, the wisdom of the prudent in Proverbs 14, 8 says is to give thought to their ways. But the folly of fools is deception. Fools mock at making amends for sins, but goodwill is found among the upright. So, God is talking to us, you know, you lack wisdom, find it. But what wisdom do I really need, you know? It's to give thought to my ways, you know. To think about what God is really trying to teach me here. And as I tried to gain perspective about my situation, I could recall that the prayer I was almost having every day back then was, or more like a talk, actually, was, I would say, Father in heaven, you brought me this far. Don't leave me alone. I didn't really pray, God, please speak to the recruiters to really change, to send some them, some rich aunt my way to send me something, or just make everything go away. No. I was, because I just felt like, you know, everything I need is given me. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I'll keep recalling, saying, God, I know you will get me out of this situation, but I just don't know how. Because I recall going, I went through to meet an agent, a recruiter in London. And what he told me was, oh, you audit boys, you just think you can just walk into industry anyhow, you know, you have no idea. You know, it was practically, you know, <laughs> sorry, I could not really get, you know, get, get, his, get, his, get his them the way you said it right. But it was more like, who do you think you are, you know? Well, you're not going to get a job. You're not just going to move into industry. Because when you work in audit, it's it, um, to people, an accountant is an accountant. But Bronwyn knows that, you know, there is a subtle difference there. You know, I work in what you can call like, you know, consultancy side of accountancy working in audit, and I now want to move into industry whereby I will now be like a company management accountant, because that's potentially where the work was at that time. Yeah. There was really no work in the audit industry because of the crash. Yeah. They were, you know, everyone was shutting down. We was, they were mothballing. And it was just like, this is really hard. It was. And, um, but I was making progress. Progress in the sense that, you know, my bitterness was starting to fall away. I was starting to think more about my day-to-day -day life, thinking about even how was my life when I was really working as an auditor and I was working in accountancy practice. Did I really like it? Did I really enjoy it? All the striving I've done, all the effort I've put in, was it really worth it? Why was I the one that was really let go? Why didn't they let other people go? 
yeah, last in, first out, yeah, right. But if I was actually a rainmaker bringing in the clients, yeah, they wouldn't bring up that rule. So I was thinking I could not have been, it could not really be there. Maybe I was not really applying myself as much as I thought. Maybe I was in the wrong line of work. And, um, and when I started thinking this way, I think that was probably when I would say God started taking control of the situation. How many of us, when we go married, you know, we remember our couple's first dance? Oh, yeah. You do? <laughs> <laughs> Looking at each other in love and embrace. You spend a few, I wouldn't say, you know, you spend a few hours practicing those steps. You know, knowing where to hold each other. And that's almost how, when you're dancing with God, it's almost like that. It was like he held me. You know, I no longer felt judged anymore. I was slowly starting to accept what he was trying to tell me in that particular scenario. And, and it was like, whatever happens, I know he's not going to leave me alone. So I was no longer desperate. I was no longer just throwing myself at anybody or anyone. I was no longer ready to demean myself, like if somebody you know, talking down at me saying, no, you don't think you can get a job. And you know, the right hand is for me to actually tell him off that you know, you're not supposed to do that. But because I was so desperate, I was so meek, I just said, okay, you know, whatever you say. Anyone will call me, can you come down to London, come and see us, I will be on it, you know, even though it's not really what I wanted. And, and I think, Slowly, I started developing that confidence. God has given me the wisdom. I started to have hope, happy expectation of what might happen. I started to see myself willingly, ready to leave ordered behind and actually try something completely new. And um, in Psalm, under an 18, 8 to 9, God reaffirms that trusting in ourselves you know, will not get us anywhere. It says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. A lot of people promised me Oh, you know, don't worry, we'll see what we can do, calm around, nothing. And I think as we find hope and the wisdom, the second part of being able to keep it, of keeping our faith in God, it's about maintaining our confidence to take action through God. I didn't know. Is it like it's... Sorry. The next final slide. 
Is that it? Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Maybe I, I missed the I missed the final slide. It is, I forgot to send that over. Yeah. But this final part is maintaining our confidence to take action through God, because a question opens the mind. But when we start making statements, making assumptions, it more or less closes it. And the situation we find with our spouse, our children, when we start jumping to conclusion by making statements, for myself, I could start, make, I could start making statements back then thinking, maybe because I was black. That was why I was sad. Yeah, because everybody there was all whitey blighty, you know. They didn't get it. They didn't. They, they didn't get. They didn't get the stick. Why me? You know, I, I could. I could. I could have done that, but, but that's just me, grap. You know, just grappling, just looking for something to hold on, just something to, you know, like like um, in proverbs, the fools. It's about deception. We cloak ourselves with deception. That would be deceiving myself rather than actually addressing what God is really trying to tell me. And I think at that particular point, yeah, God really wanted me to have a reset. It was a reset to make me realize that what you are doing, yes, you're kind of decent at it. But if you really let me, I could take you somewhere better. Just like the story of Anna. God did not forget about Anna. It was merely delayed. And it was delayed because it was a period in the history of Israel whereby they were making a transition, I believe, from judges to, to, to prophets and kings. Yeah. And we all know that the child that Anna eventually had was called Samuel. And he was no ordinary man. So, and that was what God was working towards with Anna. But Anna could not say it. I could not say it. And, and I think at that point, maybe what I was really struggling with was accepting God's timing. Because months, I'm talking about, you know, three months I was at home. Just getting by, just scraping. And the job I eventually got was, was with Vodafone. As a manager. And that job was on a project, an SAP transformation. Never heard of SAP before when I got that job. Never knew anything about what business transformation project where it was. Yeah, never. I had a degree. I mean, I, it wasn't like I was in a cave anywhere. No, I was out. Yeah, but it was just not in my sphere of thinking at all. And it so happened that the job I took over I go at Vodafone was a maternity cover for someone. It was just about when she went on her maternity leave. That was when 
I was recruited. And when I went for the interview, this was me that's been battered, bruised, and tossed all over the place. Yeah. I remember the lady, Claire Holmes. I had an interview with her. I think within 15 minutes, she was like, when can you start? Because she was like, it seems like you got a light bulb. Yeah. You know, I can't imagine the kind of idiots they've been sending my way. You know, where? And I was like, OK. Because Vodafone was a company I applied to when I was looking for a job as a student. I didn't even get close to an interview. <laughs> yes. And there I was, you know, walking into a role. And I remember calling my agency, telling, telling the guy, saying, oh, do you want to ring them up and sort out the paperwork? The guy was like, come on, Tindy, don't be stupid. I mean, I mean, don't be silly, rather. You just don't get a job like that on Vodafone. Uh -huh. And all this while, God had a plan. And I will say that, you know, walking into Vodafone, ultimately changed the course of my entire life. Yeah. I think without getting that job at Vodafone, I don't think I'll probably be standing here in front of you today. Maybe I will have gotten on a plane, go back to Nigeria, go to Bahamas somewhere, because I was <laughs> thinking of all those offshore places. Yeah. At least, you know, rich people don't usually get financial trouble. <laughs> they will still need an accountant. Yeah. And it was, it, it, it was hard to actually see God's plan in all this. And, um, and the spiritual reset, and the, I would probably call it a career reset that I had, was it made me realize and think about what will actually balance my Christian life with my career choices. Yeah. Because if I had carried on in audit, it's just not, you know, it's a, it's a tough environment, you know, really tough. You know, like I say, you know, Saturdays, nights, I'm there. Sunday, you will still give it a go again. So that's, I mean, it was really so bad that even sometimes when we're having social in the office, I, I cannot go because, man, that's like eight hours there. Eight hours that I could really use to sort out a number of things here you on know, my work. Yeah. And I cannot just imagine how that is really going to be sustainable. Traveling, sleeping in cheap hotels, all over the place. You know, you know, you move from one meeting room, and they have a habit of putting you in a room where the heating don't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, and in all this, God definitely has a plan. He did. And, and we could, one could wallow in all this, and which is why I would just finish up with, in, with Romans. Romans 8, 31, starting from verse 31. It goes, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but give him up for us all. How will he not also along with him generous and graciously give us all things? 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. With us having this hope and this commitment from God, as Christians and children of God the Most High, I believe we are simply conquerors. And when we're faced with storms, situations, and struggles in our lives, I don't think it's enough for us to just wait in the cave for those struggles to actually pass. We need to step out and trust in God yeah, and take action by simply letting him take us through the dance, through the storm. Amen. <laughs>